0: If you have your Bible, open it to the second chapter of Luke. We're going to be looking this morning at Simeon. Before we do that, let's pray. Father, we come into your presence fully aware that we haven't made it here because we were so spiritual or good or faithful or pure. In fact, it surprises us that we're here because we tried to leave when we couldn't do it anymore. They told us to keep working at it. They told us just a little bit at a time. They told us, read the Bible more and pray more. And we turned to leave. And then your voice, welcome. Father, we're not good, but we're yours and we're here. Speak to our minds and keep us from being shallow. And then our hearts to keep us from being cold. And then speak to our vocal cords that the world, a dark world, can hear the laughter of the redeemed. You know every person in this place. You know the roads that are hard. The sin that besets the secrets we can't share that darkness that won't get better, but we're here. And you're sufficient. In this place, may we hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. And as always, Father, we lift before you the one who teaches, forgive him his sins, because there are many. We would see Jesus and him only. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you were a Jew living in the first century and visiting Jerusalem, you would probably, on numerous occasions during your visit, go by the temple in Jerusalem. Magnificent, a pride of the nation. And sometimes when you were in the temple, you would notice an old man who just hung around. Maybe you would... Ask your friend, who is that man? And he would say, well, he's old and he's senile, but he doesn't mean anybody any harm. Somehow he's gotten the idea that he will see Messiah before he dies. And then your friend might laugh and say, Messiah's going to have to hurry because he's cramming for finals. He's really old. We have the privilege of seeing the rest of the story. I'm reading you to you from the second chapter of Luke, and I'll start at the 22nd verse, where Luke writes these words. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God, and he said, Lord Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light of revelation for the Gentiles and a glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce your own heart also, so that thoughts from many hearts will be revealed. Simeon. When you read that in scripture, they say he was righteous, that he was devout, that the Holy Spirit was on him, and that is certainly true, but only in retrospect. Before what he expected happened, he was just an old man who dreamed crazy dreams about a Messiah. He waited in the dark. And that's what we do. But before we talk about that, I want to go down one side road. I want you to note from this text a kind of a quirky thing the Redeemer is redeemed. Now, if you'll read when you get home, don't do it now, but Exodus 13 gives the story of what happened after the Passover. You will remember the firstborn was passed over. And God, because he likes his people, and he always has said, that firstborn is mine, but you can offer a sacrifice to redeem the firstborn. So that's what's going on here. The Redeemer, the one person in the history of the world who didn't need to be redeemed, is redeemed. Redeemed. And later on, when he's baptized, he's the one person who, ever, who lived in all of history who didn't need to be baptized. So the Redeemer was redeemed, and the baptizer was baptized. What was that? I'll tell you. God was identifying with us at every point. It was not a game. Jesus in the incarnation didn't put on a costume and played being human. He was tired the way you're tired and lonely the way you're lonely and afraid the way you're afraid. He struggled in the same ways you struggled. And so it's no surprise that he was redeemed and that he was baptized. Paul Harvey, and a lot of you don't know who that is, but there was a time when Paul Harvey was the most listened-to broadcaster in all of America. And every Christmas, he would tell a Christmas story, and I don't get it exactly right, but pretty close. There was an atheist who lived in a small village in the country, and it was Christmas, and he was with his family and his beloved three children, but he just couldn't believe, and it was Christmas Eve. There was a snowstorm predicted, and it looked like it was going to be bad. And she went to him and said, honey, why don't you go to the Christmas Eve service with us? And he said, I love you guys, but I can't do that. That would be hypocritical. So you go, and when you come home, we'll celebrate our family Christmas together. They left. He settled down with a newspaper in the family room, and he heard a thump coming from the living room. And he put the paper down and went to investigate. And it was really snowing bad and rain and sleet, messy. And birds had seen the light in the lit living room and were flying against the picture window, hitting it and falling back in the snow. He was not a believer, but he was not without compassion. So he went back, put on his heavy boots and his heavy coat and he And he made his way out into the snowstorm and he went down to the barn and he opened the big door and he turned on the light. And then he went back to the birds and he tried to shush them into the barn where there would be safety and warmth. You know what they did? They scattered. They thought he was a threat. They thought he was doing bad stuff. And he stood there and put his hands on his hips and he said, don't you know, don't you understand that I'm that I'm trying to help. I'm trying to get you to warmth. and I'm trying to save your life. And then he thought to himself, if only I could be a bird, I would tell them. If only I could be a bird, I would let them know that I'm not their enemy. If only I... And at that moment, the bells on the tower of the church rang out the Christmas song, Joy to the World. The Lord has come. The man was silent, and then he fell on his knees, and he said, Oh, God, I didn't understand. We're going to be talking a lot about a dark world and a light and what you do when it's really dark. You cling to the light. And it is a dark world. And I know when I talk to you that so many of you are going through a hard time. It's the temptation. It's the secret. It's the abuse. It's the fear. It's the sleepless night. And in every case and in every place, be still. And listen to his voice. Child, I know. Child, I know. Well, let's talk about Simeon. Talk about a bucket list. (laughs) That's a cool bucket. You know, I got a bucket. Do you have a bucket list? I have two items on mine. The first is to get drunk. (laughs) I don't drink, and you ought to. You ought to be drunk at least one time before you die. And you know, I could probably do it with one beer. My second thing is to have a motorcycle. And that's not (laughs) gonna happen unless Anna gets drunk. (laughs) (laughs) She's neurotic, man. I got an email this morning from a friend of mine who with another 3,500 bikers are traveling and getting money for, for toys And He wrote me and said, Steve, come join us. You'll love it. And I thought about my wife's comment when I was speaking for a biker's conference in Northern California three or four years ago. I loved it. It was so good. They were big old Hells Angels types with tattoos, and they wouldn't let me stop. Every time I would end, they would say, keep teaching. And I would say, I'm tired. My voice is going. And they'd say, well, whisper, but keep teaching. Now, when former Hell's Angels with tattoos that are nasty tell you to keep teaching, you keep on teaching. And I loved it. I had more. It was so cool. But my wife said, you get on a motorcycle out there. Don't bother to come home. (laughs) She had a friend who was killed in a motorcycle, and it's made her weird. So I got a bucket list and probably won't get either one of them. But Simeon, how about you know what was on his bucket list? He wanted to see Jesus. That's all. No more, no less. He wanted to see Jesus. And when he saw Jesus, he said, it's okay, I can go home now. It was fulfilled. God had put in his heart a little light, and he clung to that light in the dark. And when people looked at him, he was an old man losing his mind and was crazy. Until afterwards, when Messiah, the light, came. I'm not altogether happy with getting the final of this series. Pastor Kevin and Pastor Kurt taught you about uh, paradise created, paradise lost, and then paradise redeemed. There is objective, empirical evidence for all of that because it's already happened in history, in space and time. And then they give me one about paradise restored. And given the world we live in, that's kind of iffy. uh, Buddy Green travels with us a lot. I think this year, Buddy and I are going to do some concerts around the country, and kind of looking forward to it if it works out. I'll never forget the first time I heard this song and heard him sing it. He wrote it with Gloria Gaither. And uh, it was so powerful. And it still is when he sings it. It's not home where men sell their souls and the taste of power is sweet. Where wrong is right and neighbors fight while the hungry are dying in the street. Where kids are abused and women used and the weak are crushed by the strong. Nations gone mad Jesus is sad, and I don't belong. I've always known this place ain't home, and I don't belong. No, you don't. The world is bent, and we know it. It's dark, and we can see it. There is great pain, and we can feel it, but in the middle of it, we're a people who've been given a promise, and the promise is this, that Jesus will fix it, that he will return and set up his kingdom and forever and ever you won't cry again. You won't limp again. You won't wince again. You won't have to wear a mask ever again because the world, the bent world, the fallen world will be straightened out when he returns. There's a view of eschatology called post-millennial. And when you combine it with preterist views, you have some silly things. The idea is this, that we're going to be better and better in every way every day. And then when Jesus returns, we'll have a gift for him. We will have transformed the world into the kingdom of God, and we will present it to him as a gift. That's crazy. Have you looked around recently? Woodrow Wilson said after the First World War that we had fought the war to end all war. How did that work? And then you got the UN. That was formed so we could all join hands and stand around the campfire and sing kumbaya together. That, how does that work? How does that work for us? Uh, when you, when in Christian Century, the Christian magazine, the liberal one, do you know where that name came from? They really believed that the 20th century is going to be the, twi- the Christian century when we would usher in the kingdom and everything would be light and we would love each other and there would be no more hunger and no more. How's that working? Not very good. So, what we got? We got nothing. But we've got what Simeon had, we've got a light. And it shines in the darkness. And for a little while, I want to talk to you about that. Consider it, I'm going to give you four principles. (laughs) Consider it a Christmas present from an old Scrooge. First principle is this. What God begins, he always ends. And the fact of its beginning is the absolute and sure promise of its end. God had begun something in Simeon. He began something at the first Christmas, but it was only a beginning. Listen, you don't have a big beginning in a stable. I'd have done it different. You don't have a big beginning in Bethlehem, okay? Nobody heard of Bethlehem. You don't have a big beginning in Israel, a little country of no count to anybody, but it was a beginning. And what God begins, he ends. And the fact of its beginning is an absolute promise of its ending. Jill Briscoe is a friend of mine. She's going through, she's probably one of the best Bible teachers in America. She's going through a tough time. So if you think of it, say a prayer for her. But I remember in one of her books when she when she says that Eve bit into the forbidden fruit, and the juices dripped down her cheeks and onto her breast. And at that very moment, Jesus of Nazareth prepared to go to Bethlehem. He did. But that's just a beginning. That's just a beginning. And when it gets dark, when it gets dark personally for you, when sometimes you doubt and you think there's nothing to this, cling to that light, cling to it, because God's going to bring it home in a way that will blow your mind. Let me give you another principle. When truth confronts a lie, the lie does not wither. The lie is energized and spits in the face of truth. Notice the prophecy that was given here about Israel, the raising and the falling of many in Israel. And notice, notice what else is there. To discern the hearts of many. Have you read any of the new atheists' books? It's dribble. When I was an unbeliever, I wouldn't say anything that stupid. I mean, I really wouldn't. They ought to be embarrassed. I actually could do a better case for the non-existence of God than what they've written. It's just silly. And they ought to be embarrassed, but they're right about one thing. They say that those of us who are people of faith are divisive. You got it. (laughs) They say that we cause all kinds of trouble. Bingo. It's not because we're mean people. It's because we speak truth because it's got us, and we can't get away from it. We got. you been reading that stuff about the Duck Dynasty? <laughs> I mean, what was they and thinking, man? This is not your New York elite drinking cocktails. This is a guy almost wist, missed his wedding because he was out hunting. <laughs> I mean, he's going to say things that are... And I, in a crude way. And so when I heard about it, I went, Oh, spit. Man, is this gonna be awful? Somebody ought to talk to him. When you when you speak truth and you can't compromise the truth, he spoke truth. You gotta make sure you come from the place where you're a bigger sinner than they are. You've got to say, I can't fix myself, so I'm not out trying to fix anybody else. But I'm not the one who gets a vote on what's being screwed up and what isn't. God gets the only vote, and he says, you're messed up, and he says, I'm messed up, and I love you. And I was saying to somebody on our staff, you know, I wish Robertson had, could listen to me teach for a little bit. I could help him. I mean, he's still got to say it, but he could say it a little bit better. And, and my staff guy said, Steve, if he had sat in your class for hours and learned to be sensitive the way you are, duh. <laughs> and, if he, and if he learned to be sensitive, do you think the outcome would have been any different? No, not at all. Why is that? Because truth is spoken. And so, and so the darkness sometimes gets darker, doesn't it? When, when everybody else is believing a lie and you're clinging to something that you're sure is true. It makes it dark. You remember Bill Cosby's noadic comedy bit when he's building the ark out in his driveway and his neighbors gather around and they, they're laughing at him and asking what's, what's he, what he's doing? He said, I can't tell you, but I'll give you a hint how well can you swim? <laughs> That's us. They think we're crazy, but we're crazy like a fox because it's begun and you can't stop it. And someday, with great profundity, the people who have clung to the darkness because they thought that was all there was are going to say, uh-oh. You know, you know what they said about Simeon? As I said, it was retrospect when they said he was devout and righteous. They gathered in the narthex of the temple and said, son of a gun, that old man was right. And someday they're going to gather in the narthex of a different place and they're going to say, son of a gun. Those Christians, those crazy Christians were right. Let me give you another principle. Darkness doesn't destroy light, it magnifies it. Darkness doesn't destroy light, it magnifies it. People who have walked in darkness have seen a great light, the Scripture says. Let me show you something. This is a flashlight. And I know some of you guys are saying, that's a weenie flashlight. You, uh, why don't you get a, real, a man's flashlight instead of that little teeny thing? Well, I get up early in the morning. It's because I'm a lot more spiritual than you. Get up at 4 in the morning. So I get to the office. It's dark. And the other morning, I forgot to turn on a light, and I had my little weenie light. I turned that sucker on. It lit up the whole room. And Barnell said, all of life illustrates Bible doctrine. Let me tell you what I learned. When it gets dark enough, even a little light will do. Listen to me, our message isn't that we're good or pure, that we've done anything. We were dead. We can't do anything. The only reason that we're safe is that we're running on somebody else who paid the bill and put money in the bank in our account. We can't do it. Simeon couldn't do anything. God didn't say for him to make an impact on the world. He just said, be still. Wait. See what I do. That's what we do. I, you don't fool me. I know you. I know people. I know how hard it is. And I know how difficult. I know your sin. Uh, yesterday morning, I talked to a man in California who had written us, and his wife had just committed suicide, and I got the letter a little bit late. So I called him on Saturday morning, and I said, uh, I said, I didn't see your letter. A staff person put it on my desk. I'm so sorry I didn't get back to you sooner. And then he started crying because of his wife's death and her suicide. And I cried and then he said something that was so sad. He said, Steve, it's Christmas. Oh. And I said, you're going to leave? And he said, oh, no. I've seen too much to leave. I'm still here, but it's really hard. One of the reasons I'm a Scrooge at Christmas is that I've been a pastor for so long. And bad stuff gets worse at Christmas. If you don't have any money, I mean, you can make it in November, but in December, it's awful. Or if the doctor told you you had cancer and you're going to die, you could get through it in November, but it's hard at Christmas. If you lost somebody, you loved a lot, and you listened for footfalls, and they're not there anymore, And there's nobody left to wind the clocks, and it hurts at Christmas. It's really, really hard. But I'll tell you something you got a light. And when it gets dark enough, a little light will do. When it gets dark enough, a little light will do. And I got one other principle. And then we'll rush to the restaurant and try to beat the other Christians there. When darkness, and it's really dark, don't kid yourself. Don't be into Disney World. Don't put Jesus back in a little box after Christmas. It doesn't work. When darkness, real darkness, is wedded with light, real light, and it's brought to the temple, the light shines brightly. Our family's here, our grandchildren are sitting back there. I, I told Courtney if she slept, I was going to call her name. She'll wake. Yeah. <laughs> She's waving at me. She says, going be... We sat around last night and Robin and Manuel and Jim and Jennifer and the three granddaughters there. We laughed and laughed and laughed. I'm a loner. I I could go live in a monastery, I think, until an incident last night and when When we were sitting around and laughing, I thought, you know, it doesn't get any better than this. And I need these people so much, and I need you so much. You can't kid about the darkness. Man, when it hurts, tell us where it hurts. When you got doubts, articulate them. When you're afraid, let people see your hand tremble and the perspiration on your... That's what church is for. Church is the one place we don't have to pretend when we get in here. We're screwed up, okay? We're needy, and that's why we're here, not the opposite. But bring your light. I wish we had time to go around and talk about the light in your life, the thing that was begun, the reality at Christmas. Even when it's really hard, you cling to it. When dark and light are wedded together and brought to the temple. That's what happened here. They went to church. That's where the prophecy was made, because people are what this thing is all about. Last week, I had uh, uh, lunch with one of my beloved friends. He's my age. He's a Baptist preacher, and Baptists are like weeds. They're everywhere, and you can't get rid of them. And he... he, uh, uh, we meet every year, a week before Christmas. And we do it to make sure that one of us hasn't died. And, uh, and we tell stories and, and we laugh. He's very involved in sports and he speaks at a lot of professional athletic events. And he's been telling them, Have you, has it ever been so bad that if you didn't hear the angels sing, you're going to die? That's true Sometimes isn't it? And this is where you hear the angels sing. But anyway, another a friend of his and an acquaintance of mine, the late Browning Ware, who was the pastor at First Baptist Church in Austin, Texas, a guy who was unusual. I liked him a lot. He one time, he's known was known before his death all over Texas for standing in the pulpit one Sunday and on the church's broadcast that was heard all over the town that he didn't have a sermon. And I'm not going to preach this morning because you guys can't stand each other. So I'm going to have a closing hymn. We're going to end the service. And he was fired, uh, Kevin. Just try to keep that in mind if you're (laughs) getting any ideas. (laughs) But let me tell you what Browning did at First Baptist. His best friend committed suicide. And uh, the, his best friend was very involved in the church, so there were thousands at the memorial service. And Browning got up in the pulpit and said, I know why you're here. You've come, you, you've come to hear a fresh word from the Lord, from your pastor. And then he said, You've come to the wrong place. I don't have a word. I can't process this. I can't get it together and I wouldn't even be here if I didn't need you to hold me while I cry. That's church at Christmas. That's what this is all about. And when he cried and they held him, the light shined. I have a, I gotta quit. I have have a friend, we're gonna spend some time with him after Christmas in the mountains, and he has an estate, and he has a great room in this big house, and he's got the biggest Christmas tree you have ever seen. I mean, it's just gigantic. It's not real, but it looks real. And four years ago, he put it up, and he almost killed himself falling off the ladder. So he decided he was gonna leave it up year round. And I said, what a cool idea. And I said, no, that's not a cool idea at all. We're taking ours down, all right? But sometimes when I'm up there and it's late at night and I'm depressed about myself and my sin and my inability to get it together. His house kind of looks like a trailer park or a southern headquarters of Santa or a Christmas shop or something. But I look at that big tree and those lights and I remember and I'm glad Someday, sometime in the dark, He will come. And uh, we should say to the world, if you listen to what I taught you this morning, Jesus came, and you ain't seen nothing yet. You think about that. Amen. Thanks for listening, and thanks for downloading and using the Key Life app. If you'd like to help others find the app, it's as simple as giving it a review on App Store or Google Play. Thanks.